0: On this episode of The Fellowship Podcast by CMF International, my guest is Ryan Hayes, a CMF Church Catalyst missionary in Malawi. We'll hear about his journey in ministry from Kenya to Malawi, about the vital importance of understanding how others view and value leadership, and how a TCK from Kenya ended up playing college football at Texas Tech University. I'm your host, Jake Moore. Welcome to The Fellowship. Hello, and welcome to the Fellowship Podcast by CMF International. I'm your host, Jake Moore, and I am joined today by Ryan Hayes, a CMF missionary and NAMI Congo missionary uh, that lives in Malawi. Ryan, welcome to the podcast, man.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jake. Glad to be here.
0: Dude, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today, partly just to get to know you a little bit better, but also to help the CMF family uh, get a greater grasp on the partnership that CMF has with NAMI Congo in Malawi, the history of the NAMI Congo mission, and then to hear a lot about your piece uh, in that ministry uh, in Malawi that is transforming lives and communities and doing some phenomenal stuff. Uh, Before we jump into all of the ministry pieces, though, I'd love to hear a little bit just like on the family side of things Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, about your family. Your wife's name is Justine. You guys got any kids? Uh, Tell tell me a little bit about you, man.
1: Yep. All right. Thanks. Um, Yeah. So maybe I can just start by saying um, when I joined um, CMF, um, we I, I went to Kenya. So to Nairobi, I worked with the MOHI team there in the area of microfinance and such. Yeah. Justine was already there. She was working in the area of, I mean, also with MOHI, but as an international li- liaison, et cetera. So of course, we met there when I got there. And I also met uh, my current other teammate, uh, Eric Gephardt, which many of you also know. Um, and uh, we, we roomed together. We worked together in that same way. But of course, for Justina and I, we got along really well. We got married within 12 months there. And then um, we were there. Yeah. Then we were there in Nairobi for another year and a bit. um, And then we moved on down to Malawi to join the team here at Nami Congo. And uh, since then, long story short, um, we have three girls. uh, First one born in Malawi uh, named Amelie, second one born in Cape Town named Lily, and uh, third one born in Houston, Texas, of all places (laughs) named Riley. So.
0: Nice. I like that you guys chose three different places to have them. That's great. Yeah, we kind of yeah, followed, we followed suit, but we didn't do three different countries. Uh, so that you got you definitely you won up to us on that one. We did three different places, but not three different countries. Uh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty good too. So why why Cape Town for Lily? Was it just you guys happened to be there, or was like the medical situation in Malawi not quite what what was comfortable for your family after the first first birth?
1: Yep, that's exactly it. Yeah, after the first birth, and thankfully, everything went pretty well. I mean, for the most part, um, but the care is just pretty lacking. Um, Mm -hmm. So we just didn't want to repeat that again. And it happened that the uh, All Africa uh, conference was happening around the same time as the due date in Cape Town. Uh, So we went there for that, and then just extended our time and had the baby there. Yeah, it worked out pretty well.
0: That's awesome. Well, it's interesting to hear you talk a little bit about Missions of Hope International, about MOHI, Nairobi, mm-hmm. and, you know, of all the various things that they have going on, huge ministry, tons of stuff going on. They might need to start like a matchmaking service because you guys are not oh, the first, you guys aren't the first company no. <laughs> to come out of that, that ministry. Uh, oh, so, my goodness. Yeah, that's hilarious that you guys connected uh, as single missionaries there, uh, but then it went on mm-hmm. to get married, and uh, then step out into a new uh, opportunity in Malawi. That's that's really a cool connection there. Well, yeah, that's it. We, at what point? Where where were you at before Mohi? Like, what brought you to Mohi? What brought you to CMF and that connection? Uh, what part of the United States are you from?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So my parents are from. In a sense, West Texas area. So we were mm-hmm. in Lubbock, Texas. So okay. I I was born and grew up in Nairobi, and um, oh. but we also lived in Kitale, yeah, mm-hmm. Western Kenya, uh, for those who are uh, familiar. And um, so after at around high school, we moved back to the states uh, from Kenya. Mm-hmm. So I say that to say we moved to my uh, near to where my parents are from. So that's Lubbock. So finished high school there and then went to Texas Tech. Um, played football at Texas Tech against Did your you good really? friends, the Sooners. Dude, yeah, no way. It. I
0: didn't know that. That's cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the 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 two years that I was playing, uh, the Sooners got us pretty good. So that was a bit unfortunate. But otherwise, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, Boomer center, um, Sorry about that.
1: That's it. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, well, so yeah, so it was during the time at Tech that um, a series of things um, helped me and shifted my mind towards thinking about going somewhere else again as well. And it was primarily through the avenue of um, I was studying international finance and uh, my international finance teacher um, helped turn my mind towards uh, microfinance and um, towards Mm -hmm. all the different ways financial empowerment can be a great tool for not for not. Yeah, for working with somebody, not only for their own development in all sorts of ways, but also for a primary catalyst for a lot of other conversations that can happen. Um, So during that time, when I was a student there, I got an internship at Grameen Bank with Muhammad Yunus, um, some yeah, of you probably are way. aware, really, um, man, that's Bangladesh. awesome. Yeah. yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah. yeah, so we were in. I was in Bangladesh for a few months with that internship, and uh, you know, did everything, saw everything as it relates to microfinance there with Grameen Bank and such, and then a couple other microfinance institutions as well. So after doing, pretty clear in my mind that this is a this is a really helpful tool in a lot of ways. Um, what happened then was, upon graduating, I I started reaching out to a couple of people. And uh, probably a whole lot of people who are listening to this podcast will know mm-hmm. these names, uh, Mike Shragi in the Joplin area. Mm-hmm. yep, And then also uh, Keith Hamm, uh, mm-hmm. which pretty much everybody should know, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah. so, so I had reached out to Mike. Uh, funny enough, I, was, I just reached out to Mike to say, hey, um, do, y'all, do you have any um, thoughts on doing ministry by way of microfinance in different places? And, um, he said, just call Keith Ham." I mean, like Mm -hmm. that's the easiest. So I called Keith and of course we had known Keith my parents worked with um, them as well when we were in Kenya. And, um, so actually wrote an email to Keith and, uh, he just said, come on over. So it was pretty simple from there. So I contacted all you guys at CMF and then, yeah, yeah, got over there pretty quick and really, really appreciated that.
0: Man, that's really interesting. So what, what year are we talking, uh, that you finally made the, made the jump to. Ah, uh, Kenya.
1: Yeah, good question. That should be two thousand. Oh my goodness, um, nine. So that'd be two thousand ten,
0: around two thousand eleven. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I that
1: all—it's all blurring my mind. I
0: know. Yeah. Ten years ago, uh, man, things yeah. start running together. So you had mentioned that your parents had been serving in Kenya, uh, that you grew up in Kenya. You grew up in Kitali, You said,
1: "Yeah, that's right."
0: Were they, were they independent missionaries or were they a part of uh, another organization? How did they and, you know, when did they rub shoulders with the hands? I mean, I know the missions community in any context, uh, whether you're in Spain, Uruguay or uh, Kenya, uh, it's pretty small. Yeah. But yeah how did they yeah. how did they connect up there?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, they were they were independent missionaries with the Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and as such, um, a number of things happened. I, I don't want to get the whole story. One, it's a long story, two, I could sure. get it wrong. Um, uh, yeah. but um, for lack of better words, they they met each other in a series of different uh contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um something happened with the registration, such that Christian church um uh team members and churches of Christ, um some of them had to get under the same registration, which mm-hmm. was interesting. And yeah. um, that's part of why not. I don't. I'm not quite sure if that happened with Keith and Kathy per se with that registration, mm-hmm. but several other Christian Church CMF missionaries. Um, that was the case, and um, so you know, just to say it, I, I grew up with um, a whole lot of families that were not just Church of Christ, but then also in the Christian Church, and then there were several others from Baptists and several others from mm-hmm. uh, some other churches. I don't remember them all, but uh, it was yeah, it was a pretty, uh, it was a pretty. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for?
0: Like ecumenical. Um,
1: <laughs> ecumenical that's the word yeah, i'm looking for
0: yeah. yeah yeah it's cool it's neat how the in the admissions community uh the denominational breakdown really breaks down itself it goes away and yeah. everybody is, yeah. is much more unified and looking out for each other uh on, on yeah the mission. also so, so that that's really cool yeah. to hear dude how did a kid from kenya end up playing football at texas tech that's pretty crazy <laughs> wait did you, were you a rugby guy and so then making the jump to American football wasn't that big of a deal. How'd, how'd that happen? No.
1: <clears throat> yeah, no. Funny enough, I'd never, I'd never touched the football before or yeah. rather I'd never played football before. Um, It was just soccer. I mean, you know, we just played soccer all day, every day, mm-hmm. um, you know, it helped with all sorts of things, you know, speed, sure. agility and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, no, it was just when we finally got back that I had always wanted to play football. I was a yeah. Cowboys fan forever yeah. and just never got an opportunity and then finally got an opportunity and it was great, you know, et cetera. And then was able to get on the tech team and yeah, played for a couple of years there, which was also fun. And yeah, so yeah. Did,
0: okay, what position did you play? This is like no small feat yeah. to play at a Big 12 school, yeah. <laughs> like having been at MK. Like, that's crazy, dude. Oh, man.
1: Yeah. No, well, thanks. Well, it, I, I was a running back, so I was tailback.
0: Okay. So, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I got hit by a ton of very massive human beings. <laughs> yeah, I would And tell- it, hurt, it hurt a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, no, it, it was a lot of fun. I played with a lot of really great uh, players who are in the NFL right now. I mean, like Wes Welker and yeah. – um, yeah, and Crabtree, I'm sure everybody knows these. Yeah. Uh, Mike Leach was the coach during that time, yeah. and he's a very interesting human being as well. Sure, Yeah.
0: sure. Oh, man. Well, that is so, so crazy. I That is a detail yeah. I did not know about you, man, and that is super cool and very, very interesting. Yeah. Now, yeah. I'm, I'm interested to know, though, a little bit, about your your faith journey through all of this some of this is because my kids uh you know i was a missionary with cmf in ethiopia we moved back when they were teenagers um and their faith was very different than what they experienced coming back to the united states as teen teenagers Mm. being a part of the youth group uh Mm. i'd love to know what your journey looked like through college like obviously faith was a big part of your life. It sounds like at Texas tech for you to even explore going into missions again and, and using microfinance and, uh, as, as an avenue to get back overseas. But when, when did your faith become your own? Um, when, when did Mm -hmm. you feel like, okay, missions and the missions calling was your own. Was that before you even went to tech? You know, I'd be interested to hear that, that piece a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question actually. Um, there, there's probably a series of moments that that shifted things or rather started shifting my mind in different ways but I remember a very particular moment when uh, maybe I can say it like this um, those several years after we came back uh, from Kenya and so you know just normal high school everything that happens with mm-hmm. high school you know what I mean but most of my focus and most of my mind was oriented around football and around you know just sports in general that was just kind of like everything I did and that was just that was, for lack of better words, my my identity that I uh, saw myself as, and that I and I tried to hand to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was senior year. It was right as football season was starting, and I just had this moment. I I just started reading um, on my own, like just you know just uh, picking yeah. up books and reading them. Yeah, and uh, with my younger brother, uh, older brother as well, but um, with my younger brother, and um, there was a series of books that we picked up and read, and um, one of them. Oh, well, two of them, the ones I was reading at this time were Augustine's Confessions and mm-hmm. um, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, which I'm sure mm-hmm. everybody's read at least one of those. Sure. Um, but it, it was during it was during that. And no. Uh, yeah. Let me just say what happened was um, it was just a series of moments where I began to feel that uh, football and or the athlete identity, et cetera, was a bit false, wasn't mm-hmm. quite true to the truth of who I am, et cetera. And um, I began to realize that in a whole series of things. But then I, I picked up, um, it was I was reading C.S. Lewis at the time. and uh, just a series of insights just jumped off at me. And I think what happened was I just had a moment. Um, and nothing nothing uh, you know, from the outside, nothing, you couldn't see anything happened. But the moment was, um, oh my goodness, there is so much wisdom and so much um, uh, so much deeper of an awareness. Of my, the, my true self, of who I, mm-hmm. of who I really am, and thus who also who everyone is. And mm-hmm. there was a moment of, oh my goodness, God is way more wonderful and way more awesome than I ever thought. Mm-hmm. And and I am inextricably in some way linked or joined, um, already one with that, however you'd like to say it, divine yeah. being. Yeah. And as such, I had this moment of it was kind of a participatory, participatory awakening. I would just say where it was like, okay, I don't want to be spending all of my time and all of my effort with, with football and with sports and whatnot now. I feel like there's something deeper that I am to do and that I feel mm-hmm. kind of linked to already. And uh, so that was really difficult of a moment. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it was brilliant, but it was also yeah. difficult because yeah. football season was starting. So yeah. I, I actually had a moment of um, quitting football like I, I actually told my parents and I told a whole bunch of people. And of course, this is senior year. This is like, you know, and I mean, just to say it, like we th- were poised to win everything.
0: This is senior year so ex- of high school?
1: Yeah, senior year of high school. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we were we were poised in that sense to mm. to win everything. And, and I mean, we did. But I I said, you know, I, I just want to quit. Like I don't want to do this yeah. anymore. Like this is not who I am, et cetera. So mm-hmm. of course I stuck it through and everything was fine mm-hmm. in, in that sense. But really, I kind of, just to say it, I mean, just to be honest, like I kept playing because it was primarily the thing that I felt like I, uh, people expected me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then same into playing at Tech. There was a part yeah. of me that wanted to play college football, there was yeah. another part of me that, that really I didn't, but I knew people expected that of me. And mm-hmm. so I walked right into that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is all well and good, and a lot, a lot of good has come from that. Um, Sure. uh, For me. And I think just being on the team and whatnot. Um, But at the same time, I finally stopped. It was because the exact same thing. It was because I knew that what I was doing on the whole was not being true to who I am and Hmm. true to what I know I want to be doing. Yeah, right. And so that's where right when I stopped playing football, that's when I went ahead and took um, a semester off. And I went back over to Kenya and uh, well, all over Africa and different places yeah. and tried to get a sense of what what I would like to do or what I could do that would be helpful um, in some context. And that's where I began to realize that that's something in the area of business, microfinance is um, I'm drawn towards um, the the aspect of all of our lives, but particularly people's lives that I was working with in Kenya, who um, whose primary primary focus, because it had to be. Um, mm-hmm. Was not just making ends meet, but was doing something, you know, whatever it was with the business or what, to not just provide for the family, but to do something that could actually also engage them, engage mm-hmm. their mind, engage their heart. Some of them were yeah. able to do that, some of them not so much. So mm-hmm. it's trying to think about what people could do that would more that would more be something they enjoy doing rather than have to do. But then yeah. that would also be able to take care of them and also be able to develop the community uh, that they're in, et cetera. So that's what I was thinking about during that time. And then that's when, uh, you know, the moment I got back to college after that gap year or gap semester, mm-hmm. um, March finance presented itself and uh, took off in that direction. So okay. I could stop there for the moment. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. So, so we're looking like freshman, sophomore year of college, you played football. Then you're saying like your junior year, you took like a gap year essentially to do this kind of that's exploration, right. stop doing football together. And then going into your senior year, rounded out the rest with, international That's finance it. and microfinance. Wow, man, yeah, that exactly. sounds fascinating. Now, just hearing you talk, uh, I've heard through the grapevine, uh, through like David Giles, that you you all are into the Enneagram personality type stuff. I I am a little bit yeah. too. Uh, I type myself as a type three. What you're hitting on sounds like you might be a three as well. So I'd be <laughs> interested to know. Are, are you a three or where, where are you at? Uh, yeah. With your,
1: one hundred percent, man! You nailed it. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, just just talking about identity and finding who you are at the core, uh, but then also doing yeah. things for other people uh, is definitely something that uh, any gram threes you, uh, usually wrestle with, and I still wrestle with. I'm sure you do too at different points. Yeah, one hundred percent. So that that's it. Interesting to hear. Um, yeah, man, that gap year sounds phenomenal, uh, what a gift uh, to be able to do that and to explore. Uh, where where you were feeling at at that time, but then even that those decisions then linked with your future steps, like where you were going to go yeah. from there. Uh, man, that Absolutely. that that genuinely is really cool that you were able to do that. How were you able to pull that off? Was it through family connections? Did you like save up tons of money or and then just go? Or what other countries did you go to during that time?
1: Yeah, yeah, both and yeah, no, mm. we I saved up a lot of money for it. Um, we got a couple of people to help give a couple donations just to help us to be able to do a little bit more things. We went we went everywhere. I'll just say it was a brilliant trip uh, because mm-hmm. um, I say everywhere. We did about six or so countries in, in Africa and mostly wow. just visiting friends. Yeah, visiting friends and other missionaries. Um, and then uh, my brother who uh, we went together in a way, um, he went on and did a whole bunch of places in Eastern Europe. Um, I then did a bunch of places in Western Europe. Um, so we mostly did yeah, quite a number of countries in that way. But I'll just say, you know, aside from the just enjoyment of yeah. um, experiencing different cultures and places, which I think we all appreciate that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, what really helped, just to say it, was going back, um, you know, however, however much of an adult I want to say I was as a junior in college, probably not yeah. that much of an adult really, but going back as an adult um, to Kenya and to some of these places where I'd grown up, it was massively eye-opening, right? Because um, my parents did a brilliant job of of one uh, raising us by way of helping us to experience um, all of the good, for lack of better words, all of the good of the culture of Kenya, all of the good of the people of Kenya, and all of and all of the good in the churches that we worked mm-hmm. with, you know, all the churches of Christ. Um, but then going back and as as an adult, you know, you tend to think, man, everything, everybody was awesome. They Mm -hmm. all loved us. They all, they all, you know, everything they did was for us and they weren't selfish. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And you Mm -hmm. you just, you have all these ideas of what it was like. And then you go back and it's a disaster, isn't it? Because Mm -hmm. it's like, oh no. So like this person that, that I thought was my friend, et cetera, they did this and this and this, they no longer want anything to do with our family. You know, Mm -hmm. then I got to experience all of the relationships that were, clearly not relationships because they loved me or liked me. It was because Mm -hmm. what they could get out of it, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not, I'm not going to just overgeneralize paint, you know, the opposite or bad picture, but you get my point. Uh, Um, so it was really eye opening by way of helping me to see things that really went on. And, um, and of course then learning how missionaries, um, my parents, but then also other missionaries, um, deal with them. mm -hmm. And that was super helpful. And that helped to really shift a whole lot of how I thought about, um, not just ministry, um, but also just working with people in different cultural contexts. I mean, yeah. that, you know, all of the seeds of learning to, to see people where they're coming from through their lens, through their primary, um, primary, um, psychological focus as it relates to if they're thinking a lot about safety, security, et cetera. So it was all of, all of those, um, mm. learning a lot of that stuff that happened during that time that really started shifting me towards, um, Wanting to be in another context like that, but yeah. also having a, a little bit of a, a little bit better of an awareness when I, mm-hmm. when I stepped into it the next time of kind of yeah. what's going on. Yeah,
0: man, that's so cool. That's so cool that you're able to get that prior to then serving internationally again. I've had yeah. some conversations with my kids, my wife and I have particularly from my son who's 17 and my daughter who's 15 wow. talking about the things that. We protected them from uh, when it came mm-hmm. to culture. Like they mm-hmm. do, similar to probably you have a very glossy outlook, a, 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 a mm-hmm. positive outlook uh, to every aspect of what their life was, and it, it, and it is. It, it was the children's playland where they were running around, yeah. catching chameleons, and doing homeschool, yeah. but then playing, hunting yeah, for birds it. in the afternoon, all that kinds of stuff. <laughs> But they weren't aware of some of the stress that my wife and I were under dealing with yeah. government government situations or cultural situations mm. uh, and even some situations within the church. Um, and some yeah. of it is just because from a maturity level, they were not at the place where they could handle some aspects of it, even what was going on uh, at the time. Yeah. So that, that really is interesting to hear uh, that you got to have that experience where some of – what you thought was unpacked or, or reframed Mm -hmm. a little bit, um, Mm -hmm. but that it didn't completely ruin you for going back yourself, I think is also really interesting to hear. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, thanks for that. I mean, I think that's, that's very well said and that's exactly it. Um, how have you been able to help unpack some of those things or shift some of those things since your kids have been older or?
0: Yeah, so we had the opportunity to go back and visit um, about a year and a half after leaving the field. Um, And then I think remaining in this role with Christian Missionary Fellowship has allowed them to continue to see and hear about things that are going on on the fields that we served in, and and particularly in Ethiopia, and to just have some conversations about it, just to continue to talk it through. Awesome. I would love to give them the opportunity to do something in their early twenties where they can go back and see an experience for themselves and unpack their experience even further. Uh, so Mm. it's, I think it's a journey. It's not done yet uh, with them, but I think the dialogue piece, uh, is really important uh, for us. Yeah. Well, I'd love to know for you as, a, as a, uh, a missionary kid, as a third culture kid living in Kenya, what did, you, what did you miss when it came to moving back to Lubbock from a food standpoint, cultural standpoint? Like, did you miss your ny- nyamachoma? Uh, you know, did you miss your chai, your chai and uh, chapatis? Like, what, what were some of the things you missed going yeah. back to Lubbock, man?
1: No, yeah, that's a great question. No, you know, funny enough, Uh, you will appreciate because of where you lived, but it's Ethiopian food that we missed the most. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we probably ate that almost as much as we ate, um, ugali and greens and everything else in kenya which i yeah. i love ugali so we also miss that as well my mm-hmm. dad actually learned to make ugali really well so nice. he would make it for us when we were in lubbock as well but ethiopian food you can never get anywhere so that was yeah. that was what we missed the most you know but same yeah. with uh, i know there's some other people on here who would appreciate uh, mersique as well uh fermented mm. uh camel's milk things oh, like that wow. or just little fun <laughs> things that we really enjoyed yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how or why we all got onto that. My dad, probably through Mm. my dad, but we we drink it quite often. And yeah, I miss that. But what
0: is, what does it even taste? I can't even imagine what that would taste like. I mean, is it like a yogurty a yogurt? thing or what yeah it's pretty clumpy pretty clumpy (laughs) fermented milk you know what i mean
1: yeah Yeah, it's kind of it's not worth describing because it sounds terrible
0: yeah it sounds it sounds terrible but it was a treat (laughs) (laughs) you just sat around in lubbock just wishing you had some of that fermented camel's milk milk. (laughs) i need i need a gallon of that that just sounds so good right now (laughs) that's how you got swollen up to uh play football for texas tech that's it man that's exactly (laughs) it (laughs) okay so you you made that transition from college then to connecting up with Missions of Hope, and they said, hey, Keith Hamm said, hey, you got to go through CMF, uh, go with, mm-hmm. with Christian Missionary Fellowship to go serve. Did you start out doing the Reveal Apprenticeship, uh, or did you jump right into being like a Level B CMF missionary for like a year or 18 months? Like, what, what did that look like for you?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I... It's debatable how much i remember about this but yeah. i'm pretty sure i went as a one year if mm-hmm. not yeah i'm pretty sure i did and then i just mm-hmm. renewed um and I, I think that's right if somebody from cmf is listening to this and they're like <laughs> ryan that's absolutely not it you know you totally that's really possible <laughs> but yeah but i think that's what we did uh, mm-hmm. but now it's kind of it's kind of iffy in my mind um but I'm um, pretty sure when as a level B or whatever it was at that time, a one year. Mm. But then, of course, meeting Justine and then being able to say like we'd like to do this a little bit longer. I, I'm pretty sure that's when we then said we'd like to shift it to becoming, uh, you know, full time in whatever capacity we could. And yeah. um, so I think. All how of our long had there how long had that.
0: Justine been on the field uh, before you got there? Had she yeah. been there for quite some time before you?
1: Um, just a year. She'd been mm. there a full year.
0: Okay. Yep. And what was her role with Mohi at that time?
1: Yeah, she was the liaison between uh, teams uh, you oh, know, helped gotcha, to organize gotcha. all the teams coming over and all that stuff.
0: The yep. short-term teams coming from the United States and stuff like
1: that. Yeah, gotcha. that's it. Okay,
0: so you guys get married, you're still with CMF, you're going long-term. Were you on track to stick around Kenya to stay at Mohi or were you guys like, we like CMF, we like what CMF's doing, but we want to start looking outside of the Mohi context. Like at what point did you guys link up with NAMI Congo? I'd be interested to know that dynamic because I'm not familiar with it at all.
1: Yeah. 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 No, that's a great question. Uh, So, so basically what happened was uh, you know, we really appreciated our time at Mohi and uh, we learned a lot, both of us and uh, the people we were working with at that time, you know, were fantastic and yeah, we learned a lot. So I think, I think what happened was, um, we, in my role with the microfinance department, um, it, if I can say it in this way, I'd experienced, I think, everything that I needed to experience mm-hmm. um, to be able to think about some other things um, by way of um, all of the work, what microfinance actually does, um, both in the way of what it, what it does, what its strengths are, but also what some of its weaknesses are. So mm-hmm. I had begun thinking about that and being very aware of a lot of the, and this is not weaknesses of Mohi, this is weaknesses of a right. microfinance program in general. Right. right. And um, I had become really aware of a lot of those, even just talking with, uh, with the primary microfinance person at that time, which was Esther, and um, she helped me a lot just to see like where some of the holes are and you know mm-hmm. some of the areas that we could do better, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I also started playing around at that time with. Um, being really, uh, or rather, it becomes very, very clear to me. And this will really, this really affected a lot as I moved down here to Malawi, and it still does. Um, it's being really, really clear on putting monitoring and evaluation tools into whatever ministry or program you're doing. Um, by way of saying these are our goals or intended outcomes with this program or ministry, but then putting something in place to actually be able to measure and monitor if you are actually reaching those goals, Um, which is to say, you know, one, so that you can know for yourself, but two, you can mm-hmm. be able to say to other people, like we are yeah. actually meeting this goal and this goal's effect is this. And you have you know data, for lack of better words, to show yeah. that that's the case. So as I started to be aware of how important that is, um, we started to put a couple of uh, – monitoring and evaluation tools in place there. Um, but it was about at that time that I think what happened was my brother and his wife, um, who live also here in Malawi, uh, my older brother and his mm-hmm. wife um, lived here in Malawi and they were working for NAMI Congo. Uh, they moved about the time that Justine and I got married. Okay. Um, so about the time that, you know, after about another year in, in Nairobi, um, mm. we came down to visit Malawi. And I think what happened was um, the cry at that time in Malawi was the desire for financial empowerment, for a holistic form of development, for lack of better words. And since we had been doing that in Nairobi, and since we felt equipped in that way uh, with Che and everything, um, we said, you know what, I think this could be a great time for us to move on down and uh, to be able to start a series of these programs that would allow cater towards a more holistic form of uh, ministry or development here. So I should also just say, um, so Nami Congo was started by a couple of our great uncles um, way back okay. in 1960. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we had always heard, we had always heard of Nami Kongo. you know, growing up in Kenya, we never got to come down here and visit, um, mm. but we had always heard of everything that was going on down here. Still one of our great uncles was still down here. Then one of our other family members came down and et cetera, et cetera. So, when, when we finally got to come down and and Ben and everyone was down here, we, you know, just, I'll just say it since a lot of people who listen to this are probably in some ministry or missionary context, Mm -hmm. um, the brilliance of, of being able to come down and, or I just say the gift of being able to come down to Malawi or to Nami Congo in this capacity is that Nami Congo was already a very well established, Mm. uh, ministry and or program. Um, just like you said, um, for you guys in Ethiopia, uh, Malawi, they yeah. also required you to do, if you're going to do something uh, ministry-wise or biblical or with the church, you also had to start something um, that was benefiting the community in some tangible way, right? So yeah. that's why, just like you guys, um, the missionaries previous to us started the maternity clinic, in which we've now moved also into an outpatient clinic. And um, so I say that to say Anamikanga was well-established in the community. Mm-hmm. It had a massive network of churches And everybody really appreciated Nami Congo. It's like the center... It it is the center of the Church of Christ, for lack of mm. better words. There's no head in the Church of Christ. There's no pope, yeah. is there? But yeah. if there was, it would be Ben, my brother. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. it, it'd be the be the director of of Congo there. So right. a lot of people, funny enough, see it that way, even though mm-hmm. even even though we have the uh, a different model in the Church of Christ. Go ahead. Right.
0: Well, I was going to say we we experienced something similar in Ethiopia, and it has to do with contextualizing the gospel and contextualizing what church looks like in ethiopia Mm. in malawi Mm. man they have a huge value on family and family network and so the idea of a mother church and children uh churches or sister churches throughout the country and the network that's established by that was vitally important in ethiopia so as Mm. independent christian missionaries it was always yeah this weird tension of like wait, so are we a non-denominational denomination? What's going on here? And Oh, we've got this council and all this kinds of stuff that didn't Mm. fit with the context of our framework coming from the United States, but fit very Mm. well with what was happening in Ethiopia. And I think that that's when we have to recognize as missionaries, there are still pieces that maybe work well in the United States, but don't work as well in the context of someplace like Malawi or in Ethiopia yeah. where they ha- have cultural values that inform the way that church looks just like we have cultural values that inform the way that our churches work. If that makes sense. Yeah. Ideas 100%. like, in- ideas like independence. Uh, mm-hmm. like I don't, you don't tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Does it quite work in the same way in Ethiopia mm. or in Malawi? Uh, they have mm. a high value, uh, on, systems that are in place or connections and networks that are in place to help people feel informed, but then also undergirded in life in ministry, uh, and in development and everything else. Is that some of hmm. what you've seen too?
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, that yeah. was all really well said. Um, I would say, um, I mean there's a lot to say about this. I'll just keep it very short. This is what I did my master's dissertation on anyway. And uh, it was on the specifically the question of, di- uh, well, it was on the question of what is going on with the Churches of Christ at the moment um, in Malawi specifically. And uh, there's a lot of division and a lot of, uh, mm. you know, difficult things like that taking place. So the question was, why and what's going on? Um, and so one of the things, things that came out, just like you said, was it seems very clear um, after doing, we, so I did a whole slew of um, action-based uh, research mm. with all the um, uh, all the well, a whole lot of preachers and a whole lot of elders in the Church of Christ there are here in Malawi. And the thing that kept coming up, just like you said, is they do not do well with uh, the model of church that we that the Church of Christ has given them. I mean, just mm-hmm. to say it, um, yeah. the the autonomous churches um, does not work well here, and that that mm-hmm. provides a whole lot of conflict, right? Or actually, because what happens was that in, t- in tandemized with um, the primary cultural ingrained model is that of a extreme hierarchy, right? And uh, so even though, just like um, I'm sure, like you said, in Ethiopia, even though the cultural context is very family oriented, or rather, um, you know, even in the Church of Christ here, everybody calls each other brother and sister. I mean, you know, it's mm-hmm. very much like that. Um, at the same time, what is ingrained in people's minds by way of leadership is hierarchy, just a very right. distinct, you have to have a bwana at the very top, isn't it? Mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. bwana tells everybody, that boss tells everybody what to do as it goes down, right? So what right. happened in the research was really interesting because um, a lot of the church leaders, you would ask them questions about what they think would be a better way of, of handling um, some of the some of the way uh, Church of Christ handles things, and they they would say things like, yeah, you know, if we had a series of church leaders, you know, come together to form like a council or a, for lack of better words, a synod, right. And, right. um, and if, and if then that group had maybe another group of leadership to help them kind of know what to do, and then maybe that group had one or two people or like something like <laughs> Nami Kongo mission at the top, you right. know what I mean? And yeah. you, you would, you would get to the end of it and you'd say, oh, so basically like the Catholic church. And then they would say, no, absolutely not. You know, right. the Catholic church yeah. is you it's know, so all different. that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. So it, it's exactly like that. So it was really funny because that's where we started to realize just like I'm sure just like yourself and like many, uh, like many how crucial um, paying attention to the way people think about leadership is Um, because of course you can very quickly say something like we're going to, we're going to start a leadership training school or something like that. But man, if you don't, if you're not very aware of how people think about um, leadership and what leadership looks like and um, what it gives them. And just Mm -hmm. to be honest, like, the primary issue that we experience here is the, the, um, the way in which leadership is assumed within uh, the ego way of yeah. understanding oneself. Like I have power, I have control, yeah. I have decision-making ability, et cetera. And that's the primary yeah. downfall of the Church of Christ here. It's because yeah. um, every, every church is autonomous and nobody has to report to anyone. And everybody gets to and if you don't like the preacher or elders who are in your church, you just break off and go start your own. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what Mm -hmm. happens all day, every day. And it's like, guys, we've got to figure out a different way of being leaders and we've got to figure out a different way of working together uh, when we have disagreements, etc. So Mm -hmm. it's a really it's a really funny uh, place to be, I'll be honest, like as a theoretically Stone Campbell, um, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, missionary. Right. It's a, it's a pretty funny place to be in because, um, I have, you know, we have, we have our Malawian colleagues who are saying, yeah, I know, I know this is how the missionaries taught us, the missionaries of the past taught us to be, but this isn't really working for us. So yeah. what can we do? You know, uh, what other model can we go with? So yeah, anyway.
0: Well, no, I I love that. And I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head. It's something that we have to wrestle with as missionaries, that it's not just figuring out how to share the gospel in another language. Like people think that's maybe the greatest challenge. And no, it's saying, what is some of the cultural baggage that I'm bringing to either the gospel or to the understanding of what church is? that needs to be refined that needs to be broken down and then mm. recontextualized in the place that I'm going and serving in. Mm. If I want to see this church well be sustainable and going forward. Um, yeah, what uh, well oftentimes what, what we experience in Ethiopia, uh, would be things like a reflection back on ourselves, like, oh, man, you know, culturally they have, s- there's such a rich culture, such a rich language, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. D- unique food, d- man, Americans, we don't, we don't really have a culture. We're a melting pot. We're a melting pot. And it became this yeah. thing where we'd be like, I, I would reflect on myself and be like, okay, what am I bringing culturally other than maybe some of the baggage? What are the benefits of American culture? If there are any, mm. uh, and one that I came to see that we, when we'd have these discussions with church leaders was creative problem solving and critical thinking mm. was something that we have a high value yeah. of in American mm. culture
1: that, that,
0: mm in those contexts in Ethiopia uh, are not as often uh, multiplied upon, like are not as encouraged, you know, it's rote memory. Yeah, I control the power or whatever it might be. Um, And so as missionaries and working in mutuality with the church leadership, we began to help them say, okay, we hear you saying these things about what you want the leadership structure to look like. Let's mm. think through the creative process of how to help you guys reach that. Um, and mm, so that yeah, was the fun piece done. of saying, like, as North American missionaries, okay, there is still a place for us <laughs> in, in these types of contexts. That mm-hmm. is not just like, all right, let's just, let's just leave altogether. But it's helping them bridge the gap of these cultural challenges and the things that they think and have learned from their own culture and then also from missionaries in the past. And how do we say, okay, let's find that that common ground that actually is maybe a little bit truer to what uh, we see in the Bible uh, and what we see works within that cultural context as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man.
0: Both sides. I, I want to hear, I want to make the jump to talking about your ministry right now with NAMI Congo. You guys have been there for about six years. That that ministry has like 1500 churches. I mean, it's crazy. Cool. Uh, Yeah. But before we, before we jump to that, I want to talk just briefly, I'd love for you to give some words of advice for a a young missionary or someone that's interested in missions like you, like they're, they're like wrestling with this. I maybe, I I don't want to call it an identity crisis, but you know, like you, you're like, wait, yeah. the, tra- the trajectory I'm on is not the trajectory that I want to go on. I, I-, I feel like yeah. I need to explore other things. I feel like there's something else for me. I'd love to hear like some words of advice, some thoughts uh, from from you for someone that the Ryan Hayes of 2007 or 2008 that was <laughs> exploring all yeah. these things. What would you tell yourself, man? someone that was someone that's at a state school that maybe is heading in a direction that isn't bad, but isn't necessarily maybe true to who they, who they are. What would be some things that you suggest that they should do?
1: I think I would start by saying, um, because I know this is what I needed to hear. And, uh, and and I heard it in a series of different ways, though I didn't take it as seriously as I should have. And it, it is the question of consider and take some time to really consider Um, what is it in your life or in that you have done or about you or your skill set that you are drawing a sense of value or a sense of identity from? Mm -hmm. Um, And to, to really take time considering that because each of those things, whatever it is that is making up, and this is where I would say making up the way in which you feel that you are of value or of worth or that you have something to offer, all of those things while they could be skills or talents or innate aspects of your, or conditioned, I should say, aspects of your personality or whatever they are, they can be so helpful and they can mm-hmm. be so good. But mm-hmm. at the same time, those are, those are some of your primary areas that you need to be able to look at and to be able to say, even though I have this personality trait, or even though I have this propensity, or even though I've learned to operate in this way, this, this, I can either choose to look at this as a, as a gift, or I could use this as something that I want to hold over and against other people as, and, and you don't do that in any conscious sense, mm-hmm. but in an unconscious way, in a subconscious way, to be able to say, as you're coming to a new place, um, that for example, for me as a Enneagram, uh, you know, three kind of in that box, mm-hmm. it would be, I have a whole way a habitualized way of thinking around, um, thinking about a potential goal and then figuring out, doing all the critical thinking to figure out all the ways in which to meet that goal. And then we would just walk step-by-step step in order to meet that goal. Now, when I come and talk with a malawian colleague, That's usually my first thing that I sit down and I want to, I want to lay out what I think here is going on, where I think we can get to and how I think we can get there. And, you know, by the time I'm finished, I don't really need anybody else's input. I've just Mm -hmm. laid it all out. You know what I mean? And um, one of the things that I realized really fast is that I draw a lot of my, my feeling of, of yeah, power control, um, feeling like I'm worth something by being able to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that I had a tons of resistance to not do that, um, a tons mm-hmm. of resistance to doing it in another way, tons of resistance to asking for advice and tons of resistance to actually doing it in a more participatory way. So this is when like Che came in and mm-hmm. I started to realize that there was a, a there's a different way of being able to get people's input and being able to make decisions. I had a lot of internal resistance to it. Um because yeah. I knew I knew that it was going to take away one of my primary things that I thought that I could give to the ministry or give mm-hmm. to the people that I was working with. And so that was really difficult and it required a lot of internal you know work to be yeah. able to see and say, Ryan, that just because maybe you've had some practice in that, um, that is not who you are. And that is completely mm-hmm. okay to be able to give that up, to be able to actually give the decision making to somebody else. To actually be able to hand a little bit of control and a little bit of power to somebody else's Mm -hmm. hands and to be able to be completely okay with whatever decisions that they make that you that you help make uh, help them make or empower them to make or give um, give room for them to make. So Mm -hmm. I say this because we're in the specific role of of we have about 80 employees or I call them colleagues, of course, but Mm -hmm. technically employees. And, and we have to give or we've been working on a leadership model where we give uh, which which um, completely flattens the traditional hierarchy uh, model that uh, mm-hmm. Malawi is used to. Yeah. And, it, and it makes it into a more a democratic way of uh, way of seeing things. But it's been painful, really mm-hmm. painful, because I didn't realize the hold that I held. Um, on on yeah decision making and uh, being able to not just make decisions but being able to to use maybe a strength of critical thinking to be able to get there and um, you know and th- I mean that's just one simple example sure. I, w- I would say another thing is um, another reason why to to look at it is because we all have loads of ideas and agendas and desires for particular outcomes right mm-hmm. and this is one of the things I noticed really fast about myself. And that I noticed about other missionaries as well. And it's another area that we've got to pay attention to. And it's that if you ask someone, or I'll speak for myself, my desire for a particular program and to see a particular outcome wasn't always for the good of my colleagues and the good of the community. Yeah. It was why. because I, So I would look good, right? And right. I would never say that. But mm-hmm. of course, that's what I was thinking. You know, so mm-hmm. here, here comes Ryan and I've, I've been equipped with this particular you know, set of knowledge and skill sets. And, and here I come into your situation and don't, go, don't worry guys, I'm gonna make a series of programs, mm-hmm. I'm gonna sort all these problems. You know what I mean? That yeah. was kind of the, the subliminal mindset that I had come into it. And you know, of course, a couple of years down the line, um, you know, I think it took me that long, a couple of years down the line, I realized that man, I could have done this in a much more brilliant way if i would have just asked other people's thoughts and if i would have just yeah. just allowed other people's input to shape the way the program looked and to shape the outcomes and we we could have had even better outcomes if if i wouldn't have been just driving the whole thing mm-hmm. at, based upon you know how i thought things should be run etc so i just say that to say those are some of the like mistakes that i've made that've yeah. be, become very clear in my mind now that that we're kind of just generally run by and a, a lack of awareness around mm-hmm. how you know my myself as ryan or my ego i would like to say um yeah. would like to have that particular sense of success or power however you'd like to say yeah. that so i mean that's the first thing wait was, that yeah. took me way too long to say but you get my point. <laughs>
0: no absolutely no it didn't take too long to say it you're hitting it on hitting it uh, in such a way that gosh yeah it's it's speaking to me for sure and concepts of of ego and setting aside our ego uh, and thinking that we're doing selfless things like getting involved in ministry or yeah. serving in the church or doing missions that oh yeah that's the ego is not involved with it uh, sadly yeah it is oh, and uh too often it muddles uh the process and muddles uh the ways in which we can grow and develop uh as well as 900%. our industries uh so yeah it definitely could resonate uh with that uh for sure thinking about NAMI Congo now. You've been there going on six years uh, as a part of that ministry. You're the director of development. Is that right? Or you guys call it the yeah, devel- development director. Is it the other way around? <laughs>
1: yeah. No, you're right. It's a very yeah. confusing term. Yeah, yeah. In the States, that would be more like a fundraiser, but uh, yeah. we mean it more like community development and business development yeah. director. Yeah, that's right.
0: When I, I love this idea with NAMI Congo that it is a multi faceted or multi-focused ministry that is focused on training and empowerment of communities and that that's mm. where the gospel transformation happens is through that training and that empowerment of those communities. Mm. Dude, touch a little bit on the ministry. You said it started in the 60s, so almost parallels with CMF in some ways with the timeline of existence, but it sounds like it's got a really broad footprint in Malawi connected to 1500 churches, but you've got a lot of different cool stuff going on. And you, In particular, you focus as a development, development director on a few of those key things, but would you mind touching on what, what are the various things you guys go, you got going on? I mean, you've, you've mentioned the maternity clinic, yeah. you've mentioned microfinance, <clears throat> but that's not just it with NAMI Congo. So tell us a little bit about the mission as a whole.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, as as Nami Congo, we do a whole lot of things. Um, it's it started or orients around a discipleship training program, um, which has um, leaders of Church of Christ and their their spouses um, who come together to Nami Congo for nice. a three year a three year program in which they go through basically everything everything we do. And um, they, so both the husband and wife go through the school and go through everything. Um, And part of what is included in that are all of our other programs. So basically what we've done was, um, what we've done is create what we feel is a very holistic um, set of programs that try to affect um, every area of somebody's life, if I can just say it that way. So of -hmm. course we have the maternity clinic and we have the outpatient clinic. And then through that, we have a, a medical um, education program. Um, then with that, we have an HIV and AIDS prevention training program, um, which is really basically a marriage training program. And it helps people to understand all of the dynamics around um, not just um, the sexual relationship, um, but also everything that relates to HIV, everything that relates to um yeah, I mean marriage in general. It's, yeah. it's just basically a marriage training program. So from there, of course, then we have the Village Savings and Loans which uh, program, which also goes in tandem with the financial training program and business training program. Um, and then those go hand in hand with our agriculture program. So it's conservation agriculture okay. and now also permaculture training program. Uh, And then from there, of course, we have a women's development arm. So women's development um, program um, where we're working with um, a lot of the women leaders in the Church of Christ, um, which has been brilliant because typically they've been uh, neglected um, in terms of leadership development and in terms of education. Um, And then we from there, we have a whole series of things that happen with church leaders um, in discipleship. But so I say that to say um, all of those then fold into the discipleship training institute. Um, such that the husband and wife, when they go through the program, they get certified in every single one of those areas. Oh, okay. And then of course, as well as, yeah. And then as well as of course, the theological component and um, all of that, all of that is just bundled into one training program now. So,
0: so the, yeah, disciple tra- the disciple training Institute, how long does it last? Is it something that people come to for like a couple of years or do they come and do modules from time to time? How's that work?
1: Yeah, great question. Yeah. So the way it works here in Malawi is, yeah, it's a three year program, mm-hmm. um, but they have about four and a half months off at one part of the year. So we go pretty solid in terms of three tri- a trimester um, situation for pretty much half the year and a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And then they have the rest of the year off, which is their planting and uh, gets up to harvest um, time for the primary crops that people do. So we we orient it that way, but otherwise it's it's pretty much a trimester college uh style.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. Now is it this is always something that you wrestle with uh in Ethiopia. we always wrestled with in Ethiopia is any type of training institute like this training program. Mm-hmm. Is it a certified by the education department and all that kinds mm. of stuff, or is it something that just the churches as a whole affirm and people go through? Where where does it fall? Uh, in, yeah, in that's a
1: great question. Great question. So we were headed towards the actual certification of becoming a college. That's mm-hmm. what the original goal was. Um, but probably, like you have found, and like many have found, the amount of hoops that they required us to jump through. Not Mm -hmm. not just by way of like making payments and whatever, um, but the primary problem was that in Malawi they require you to make your curriculum based upon the um, accredited theological association. Which Yeah. yeah, which typically you know theoretically that's not a terrible thing, but we were we were not inclined to for both the theological content. Uh, but also just the style of teaching, so right. they would require you to yeah to have all the same classes that say um, the the Catholic Institute uh, down the down the road has, um, which right. is I mean which is fine. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything about that. But they would require it to all be in lecture style classrooms with mm-hmm. exam based. Um, assessments. Yeah. Right. And so we don't, we don't have any of that. We do assessments in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have several, and in the entirety of our curriculum is based upon a participatory, um, interactive approach, um, mm-hmm. or for a classroom, you know, we sit so, in a circle, everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: I was going to say, so like the con- conservation agriculture class, if it was to fit within that model, you got to sit, you got to lecture, you're going to be in a classroom. Yeah, you're taking people outside. You guys are getting your hands dirty walking through That's the systems it. of how to do stuff. Is that more what it's like?
1: Yeah, 100%. That's exactly it. And, uh, and every level on each of those classes, they're exactly like that. Um, some of them take place um both out, out in the community. Some of them take place, you know, it's just, it's pretty eclectic and uh, works really well.
0: You mentioned that you had 80 colleagues, Malawian colleagues, mm-hmm. and then You've mentioned your older brother and then you mentioned Eric Gephardt. So tell us a little bit about the team makeup and what people's roles look like there in NAMI Congo.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, my brother, my older brother, his name is Ben. Um, so he's the director of the mission. Um, one, because he was he was originally um, asked by NAMI Congo, by the board in the States, to become the, the, at that time, primary missionary. So up until that time, there was just one missionary family at a time. So when we came and joined, um, you know, Ben and Becca, um, there, we, it was the first time in a very, very, very long time, about 40 years that there was two missionary families working together now. Um, (laughs) yeah, so that was a, that was a big shift and that was a wonderful, you know, wonderful thing that happened, uh, for lots of reasons. But so Ben oversees um, everything as the primary director, but his, basically what we, what we've done is, um, as things have grown over the last, you know, seven years, um, I have primarily worked with the community development and business development arm. Um, Ben is, is kind of like the, the one, so he's an Enneagram nine. So he's, he's, Mm. you know, relationship oriented, make sure everybody's Mm. okay, holding everything together, you know, trying to make sure we have the best um, decision-making processes in place, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So he handles a lot of the, all of that side, the administration like side. Um, Well, he also does, he also teaches in the, uh, the subship Training Institute as well. Mm-hmm. And then when Eric came, um, he, you know, his expertise with, um, he has a, uh, two masters, one, of course, in a master of divinity, but then he also has a master's of higher education. Um, so he helped oh. us to put together the curriculum and helped to basically oversee the whole of um, Discipleship Training Institute. Um, so yeah, so he's, he's the education director, I'm um, the development, Ben's the overall. Um, and then so uh, Becca and Justine do a lot of stuff as well. Um, of course, their primary roles at the moment, as they see it, are um, homeschooling the kids. Um, but they Full-time also have job. a series of yeah, one hundred percent, it is. And yeah. um, so even more so than we, we've had another colleague come over, Rachel, and um, she has been primarily a teacher uh, for our kids. Um, so mm-hmm. she's helped Justine teach in our mm-hmm. in our house homeschool, mm-hmm. um, and that has that has helped in a lot of ways because Justine was getting her certification to be a doula. Um, cool. so she's been able, she's actually just completed that. And, um, she's also working on her master's um, in creative writing as well. Um, and then she, she helps to write and edit for the, uh, the primary newsletter, um, about Namikongo, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's our team at the moment.
0: So for you then
1: cool.
0: as the director of development or development director, sorry, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's cool. Uh, that's cool. What's your day to day look like, man? Like, are you are you? You mentioned the eighty uh, colleagues, eighty employees. Like, how many of those people yeah. fall under your jurisdiction? Uh, what 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 where are you guys doing stuff day to day, or what week to week? What what do things look like?
1: Yeah, man, that's a great question. Um, so, of those of those eighty, primarily eighty, and those are pretty much full time. Um, and then we have a lot of others who are part time. Um, about, if I can say it this way. 14 are with me um, under uh, with the coffee with the coffee uh, coffee roastery and coffee farm about 14 there and then I have about seven who are uh, who just report to me directly as it relates to the development programs that we have um, so uh, whatever that total is that's about where I'm at um, and and just to say day to day you know it's it's funny because I, I think we're in a unique position I think mm-hmm. there's only a couple other missionaries that I've gotten to know and talk to who have had the particular uh, place or, or the particular um situation of being a missionary but working with and for uh for lack of better words an institution right yeah. and um there's pros and cons to that um 100 mm-hmm. there is and um uh the i can start with the cons the cons are obviously you know the least life-giving parts of what i do is all of the administration, all of the budgets that we have to do, mm-hmm. all of the paper trails that we just have to have for, for yeah. the organization. Um, and of course meetings, meetings about meetings about meetings, you know what I mean? So um, because we have, we have so much going on and we have so many people you know, we work with, um, it's just like constant, all of that stuff. You know? So, so a, day, a normal day uh, for me is, is basically eight to four, somewhere there um, at the office. And uh, I say the office, but we're on a 90 acre plot and it's mm-hmm. beautiful as it's wow. a forest. You know, we do permaculture, et cetera, et cetera. So I spend a lot of my time outside of the office just on our plot. Um, and so it's in that way, it's very life giving because, um, you know, I can be in the forest at any given moment and just enjoy some quiet time. Um, you know, amongst monkeys and whatnot, (laughs) um, or, or, or in the coffee field, you know, and enjoy Mm -hmm. that, or I can be in the office proper and um, spend a lot of time, you know, making sure that, you know, my colleagues that I work with that we're moving in the right direction, et cetera, et cetera. But just be honest, we, we have, there's so many good people that we work with that um, now where I am is I spend less and less time, um, you know, I, I though I technically oversee, I spend less and less time with, with each of the programs as it relates to uh, vision casting and actually day-to-day implementation. Um, you know, our Malawian colleagues are, are super in a whole lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, so they've been able to, you know, the ones I work with specifically, uh, they know what they're doing and I don't have to tell them on a day-to-day basis, you know, and yeah. they do it better better than I would, you know what I mean? So yeah. um, so that's fun. I mean, you know, that's, that's part of what's fun is being able to work with people. Who are very equipped and very capable and you know i learn a lot from them um and we're able to for the most part work pretty well together yeah and um and we're able to accomplish something that in the end um you know like i said earlier i've learned um to be able to include what they see as as in their in their own cultural and in, the, in their own language and in their own understanding of their communities mm-hmm. um what they see as as goals and outcomes that are actually beneficial for other people. So that's helped me a ton.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's huge. Now you, you mentioned their, their own language, uh, similar to Ethiopia, there are numerous language groups in Malawi, I'm assuming, and the national language is English, but there's another language too, right? It's like, I don't know how to say, is it Chichewa? Yeah. Never,
1: oh, that's right. Yeah. Well done. Nailed yeah.
0: It. Yeah. So is that, at the disciple training institute is is everything done in english or do you guys do like half classes in is it chichewa am i saying it right uh, yeah yeah
1: you are yeah chichewa yeah. yeah yeah great question so um probably similar to where y'all were um, all of our colleagues speak english um so we can do we can do all of our meetings in english um, but for everybody that we work with who either comes from the village or outside of some of the more urban areas, mm-hmm. they only speak Chechewa. Um, so, mm-hmm. so yes, the, the institute we is done in English. Um, some of it is translated primarily because um, the, the wives, um, I should say generally most of the wives, and we have a couple of uh, single fem- female students, um who who are not as proficient in English, and so yeah. to keep them on the same page, um, we translate a whole lot. But uh, for a lot of the men who are there, um, they do really well and be able to communicate in English. But uh, but yeah, you know, just like you guys, the moment the moment you go out of Zomba where we are, the small yeah. town, um, you've got to be able to speak um, Chichewa. So um, we yeah. are we are conversational. Um, I wouldn't say I'm as proficient as you probably were, but you know, (laughs) that's where we're at.
0: No, that's, that's really interesting though. So for you then you're, you're overseeing the development piece of things, but then does that put you in the classroom from time to time or running sessions through, through DTI? Like how does, how does that work for you?
1: Yeah, 100%. So we, we, uh, each of the so we have several different streams of classes that we've we've created it in a way in which it's rather than just like taking class after class after class after class it's something more like a spiral um mm-hmm. such that we hit the same the same primary ideas in each of the different classes just from a different dynamic and from a different viewpoint um mm-hmm. so that you really feel like when you go to from class to class to class um, you're kind of talking in large uh, you know largely about the same thing uh, but okay. yeah, just from a different viewpoint. So what we've done is uh, the way we've structured it is uh, Ben and Eric and myself and then another Malawian colleague, um, we basically just rotate classes. So each of us get time in the classroom, um, basically because we all love it, you know, similar yeah. probably probably to yourself and a lot of people yeah. listening. You know, it's so much fun to be with a group of people who actually care to mm-hmm. learn and, to, and who want to learn about whatever it is you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. And that's probably one of the most life-giving things for me as well. And it's just being able to, if I can say it this way, it's what I love is, is for the, the, um, the light bulbs that have gone off in my mind around particular things as it relates to our, our, our true identity, as it relates to our understanding of God, as it relates to who we are and how we are to be in the world, et cetera. I love to be able to um, facilitate those conversations and be able to ask those questions and to see, you know, similar light bulbs going on in in my colleagues or students' minds. Um, that's pretty much the funnest thing. I'm sure, I'm sure anybody who's taught could agree with that. Um, so yeah, we all get to spend time in the classroom and that's great.
0: Yeah. I loved seeing the pieces come together, uh, whether it was yeah, something I was good. preaching on or training some different leaders. Seeing them start to get the concept that I was trying to push forward. Uh Man, and and putting a, it in their own words. Uh, you know, I think that's when when they yeah. start when they're capable of teaching it themselves, uh and sharing it, it's like, okay, now now we're firing on all cylinders and you guys are resonating with the things that I've been trying to share with you for maybe months yeah, or we'll, years. We'll maybe, <laughs> yeah, years, years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you've yeah. touched on this uh, a couple of times already here in the last little bit, but as we're we're winding down our time, I'd love to just hear a little bit uh, on what have been some things that have been maybe one that are life draining for you in ministry, and then yeah, mm-hmm. life sustaining. You touched on the administrative piece uh, with with your yeah. ministry. I could totally yeah. resonate with that. Uh, that 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 can sucked the life right out, right out of me, but what, yeah. what have been some other things that uh, ha, are kind of draining for you when it comes to life yeah. and ministry in Malawi?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, just just right offhand, it's it's not just the administration, but I'll say it's the, if you'll allow me to put it this way, it's the disappointment that comes when you're working with a colleague and then you realize that maybe they had an ulterior ulterior motive, mm-hmm. um, which whatever it is, whether it's just finances or if it's um, wanting to get in good with you so that maybe they'll get something from you or whatever it is, it's, it's mm-hmm. learning that mar- maybe you haven't been on the same page the whole time as you thought you were. Um, yeah. So that's always a bit disappointing and a bit yeah. like um, you have to keep your, um, what's the word? You have to be aware of where people are coming from and be aware of what their primary uh, goals or their primary lens mm-hmm. through which they're seeing things are. And uh, we've learned that through a series of disappointments. But in the exact same yeah. way, it's just it's just running the the organization um, such that, you know, we've gotten sued quite a number of times um, wow. from employees um, who just want to be able to take advantage of little loopholes and laws in Malawi that they can get money from so the hard. organization. If we don't do yeah, X, Y, and Z, et cetera. So we've gotten mm-hmm. sued so many times and we've gotten, you know, we've gotten uh, for lack of better words, cursed uh, with witchcraft quite a number mm-hmm. of times as well. And uh, just for a wonderful example here. So we got, we got publicly cursed um, and then we promptly fired that person because you know, what mm-hmm. else are you going to do? And right. then it turns out in Malawi, um, you're not allowed to fire somebody for witchcraft. Uh, uh-huh. So we promptly got sued and we yeah. owed the person about $7,000 and had to pay mm-hmm. them $7,000 or so um, for them, for them doing wow. that. So, you know, things like that are loads of fun. You know what I mean?
0: Oh man. So yeah, big hairy mess to step into. And yeah, yeah the, the it. cult, it's kind of touches on what we mentioned earlier, the cultural aspects of things that you don't quite know or understand until yeah, you get into the it. middle of it. Uh, That's That's so hard. Yeah. And it is strange, uh, particularly in East Africa. It does seem like a a lot of our missionaries wrestle with this issue we did in Ethiopia. I've heard various stories Mm. from missionaries in Kenya. of Once someone feels like you've wronged them, then they bring uh, the law uh, out and yeah, they they sue you or they figure out legally uh, in what ways they can throw some little uh, flaming yeah. arrows uh, at your ministry uh, to bring it down, that's but it. uh, it's—I mean—it's a it. testament to God continuing to work through Nami Congo, though, that even with public cursings, even with being sued, that the ministry goes on, the and it yeah. continues to not just go on but thrive, um, and that's a testament yeah. to like that you guys are in and a part of what God is doing in that place uh, and in those communities yeah. and in those lives. So that, thats phenomenal. Yeah. Well, well, thanks. No, I appreciate uh, it. So then the, the converse of that, you, you mentioned getting yeah, outside, yeah. That life-giving, or even I, sometimes I like to ask, like, what are ways that you find Sabbath uh, in the midst of ministry? Uh, it's, I, I always say it's kind of a crass way, but being a professional Christian, uh, you have expectations <laughs> for being a person of ministry, doing ministry at all times, but yeah. people sometimes forget that we need to be poured into, that we need Sabbath. Uh, so what does that look like for you or, and for your family?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so to start with the Sabbath bit, um, you know, we probably like many, we have to schedule it in, um, you know, to make sure it gets done. You know, for, like, for that's an Enneagram three um, saying that I have to uh, pencil in at my task of not doing anything. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And that's the, that's the only way I can be able to check it off that, I, that I've gotten it done, for lack of better words, yeah. Yeah. is um, so we, we put it in the schedule for a day where we don't go up to the office and we try and do um, you know, whatever we can do as a family um, and, or, and, or as a team. Um, now that's, that's, even that's difficult because um, of course, um, well, I'll just say it this way, not difficult. Um, we can always do that. Um, but there's always, not only is there always something to do um, by way of ministry and by way of, you know, just being a part of NAMI Congo, but as many people, you know, who have lived in a different cultural context, know um, there are small draining things um, that continually come up that like yeah. by themselves, they're not much, but there's a whole bunch of them. And, um, that can slowly kind of just even on a Sabbath day, you know, having people all around, like, you know, seeing you, watching you, um, people coming to your door all the time. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, see, there's just certain things you have to do to be able to protect that. And sometimes it's just leave the house and go, mm-hmm. um, we live at the base of a mountain. So we go up, up on the mountain and, uh, cool. you know, picnic or things like that. But then for me yeah. personally, I mean, just to say it, I, I um, you know, the primary ways in which I feel uh, more um rejuvenated are are through spending time reading and learning new things. Um I, I love to learn and specifically as it relates to ways in which I can better uh live from my true self and better understand understand as I understand God and as I'm able to mm-hmm. to teach um in a way that is understandable for other people. So that's where I say, you know, life giving also though is um, you know, one, yeah, the teaching aspect. And, and again, this is not not just because I get to be up there and saying things, um, but because you get to see shift happens mm-hmm. in people's mm-hmm. minds. And that's, that's what I love. I love seeing a shift happen in whatever way it comes. So yeah. so one of the ways in which we see this, and that's probably the most life-giving, is through reconciliations. Um, so one of the primary things that Namikongo does, just funny enough as a role, is, mm-hmm. is having to be the, the middleman between um, divisions and between um, uh, things that come up between church leaders and churches, whatever, they come to Nami Congo to ask for help for, um, you know, reconciliation for lack of better words. Some of them could care less about reconciliation by way of, they don't actually want to, to forgive or be forgiven. Um, they just want us to come and say, you guys are right, you guys are wrong, which we don't do. So our, mm-hmm. the primary thing that, that can happen and does happen often is watching, you know, two preachers or or teachers or elders or two churches who have something between them to finally be able to help them to reconcile and to see each other as brothers and sisters again. I mean, that's just that's brilliant, and that's yeah. what, um, you know, that's the the gospel that we work with um, from 2 yeah. Corinthians five. That's one of our mm. primary things is being ambassadors of reconciliation. So in the same way, you know, some of the most brilliant things that happened. Are um, and I've happened routinely, but I can just say one. You know, I love getting to see um, some of the fruit that has come from the Village Savings and Loans program. And one of the things that has come unexpectedly is um, we work in a primarily uh, Muslim area here, and um, is seeing our Church of Christ trainers and colleagues um, working together in the same groups. You know, the same savings groups, the same communities as um, predominantly Muslim uh, people and uh, seeing them work together mm-hmm. and not only work together but for a common goal, achieve that common goal together, you know, grow as it were of one mind, even though they're of, they're of, you know, two different religions to see the chief in that community who is also a Muslim be able to come to us and say, man, you know, we, we've never received such, um, such development, such empowerment, such growth from from any of our fellow muslim uh you you know brothers and sisters and we're seeing it you know with you and um with you who are christian etc so that you know that level of of reconciliation of working together of being able to bring down barriers that's probably some of the funnest stuff isn't it because uh, you know that that has a lasting impact yeah
0: yeah and that's what really community development is that's seeing the That's gospel transform yeah. community and lives. Uh, and being at the heart of that uh, is truly a gift and an honor to be a part of. Yeah, Man, yeah. Ryan, thank you so much for this time. I'm so grateful for you and Justine and your family's faithfulness to Jesus in Malawi. Um, and it's great grateful for NAMI Congo uh, and that despite the challenges that continue to come to this ministry uh, from employees yeah, uh, as sure. well as from people on yeah. the outside Uh, you guys continue to press forward knowing that God is transforming lives and transforming communities uh, through your faithfulness and that work. So thanks, brother, for this time. And I look forward to some future conversations we're going to have about the Village Savings and Loan Program and some of the other things that you all are doing as a ministry. God bless you, brother. Not only did I learn a great deal about the NAMI Congo ministry from my time with Ryan, but I was also challenged by a number of things that he shared Particularly his question about identity. What are the things in your life that you are drawing a sense of value and identity from? And then piggybacking that idea, when I am with others, am I setting aside my ego to learn from them? I need to ask more questions and better questions and not just assume that I have all of the answers or the solutions to the problems or the issues around us. Only then will my ministry really begin to thrive. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fellowship. Now get out there and connect with what God is doing in the world around you.